It is Wednesday, July 24th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me as always is Jared, and it is getting close. Training camps are opening all over the place. Jalen Ramsey is riding in armored trucks. <laughs> Veteran defensive players are getting cut just as they reach for their suitcases. Melvin Gordon is still on vacation. All that means football season is right around the corner. I'm ready to go. I think we're ready to go on the site. MVP board's rocking. We've got a bunch of articles up. Our, our comeback pick is coming next week, followed by the first round bust and the breakout. So we're, we're ready to go. Nice. Big three on the way. We will get to the biggest training camp question facing fantasy owners for every single team on today's show. And this show is brought to you by MyFFPC.com. The FFPC's flagship event, of course, features a $500,000 grand prize live drafts in Las Vegas, as well as online drafting from home. But even if you're not ready to pony up that main event entry fee, they offer a bunch of other contest types on the site. Entries starting as low as $35. You can win entries to the larger tournaments. You can try to build up your bank to cover that main event entry. And as we get closer to the season, those drafts will be filling up faster and faster. That means you can jump in, complete your draft without waiting around for that league to fill. Jared, I know that you just did your pros versus Joe's draft earlier this week following the FFPC scoring format. It's a league you've won before. Any quick tips for the format? Yeah, I was pretty happy with how they went. And I'm going to do a um, draft recap article that will nice. be on the site next week so you can see you know, how, how I sort of constructed my team. Um, biggest tip, set up, set up an MVP board because there is some differences with the two flex spots with the 1.5 PPR for tight ends. So I, I think beyond that, though, Make sure you get those tight ends because they fly fast. And, you know, I, I think this year there's 14 guys I think I, I feel pretty good about. So I, I wanted to get two of those 14, and I was able to do that. Mm-hmm. And I, I liked the team that you came away with. It's funny we're getting – you can tell we're starting to get into draft season because you can start to see DS players show <laughs> yeah. up on our teams if you look at our teams in sure. various formats. Go to MyFFPC.com, M-Y-F-F-P-C.com, to check out all the available contests and become a DS Insider to get that customizable MVP board. It'll help guide you through any FFPC draft along with whatever other format you're playing. We'll certainly be hitting on the FFPC format at various points over the next month and a half. Today, though, we're celebrating the start of training camps, and we're doing that by looking at the biggest fantasy question that needs to be answered before the start of the regular season. Jared, Kick us off with the teams of the AFC East. And we'll start with our hometown Buffalo Bills. And for me, it's can Josh Allen show any progress as a passer? Um, you know, he, he was the quarterback one over the final six weeks of last season. That was fueled by the rushing, though. He averaged 79 rushing yards per game. I don't think that's sustainable. So if we're hoping for Allen to become a real fantasy factor and for any of these wide receivers to produce, I think Allen's going to have to take a step forward as a passer. Miami Dolphins, will the coaching staff commit to Kenyon Drake? Because volume has been his problem. Drake has topped 15 touches in just seven of his 48 career games. But he's been good in those seven games, averaging 111 total yards per game. I think if this new coaching staff commits to him, that he he can be a high-end running back, too, for fantasy. Patriots, I think sticking in the backfield, just who's going to get that early down work? We know this backfield is going to produce. The Patriots have finished top 10 in rushing yards in three straight seasons, five of the last seven. They've been top 12 in rushing touchdowns in 15 straight seasons. So someone's going to score touchdowns here. Is it going to be Sonny Michelle? Can he get healthy? He had the offseason knee surgery, opens camp on the pup list. Or is it going to be Damian Harris, who I think 
Patriots kind of surprised us by taking him in the third round this spring, but I think it makes more sense now that we know Michelle's dealing with more knee trouble. And finally, with the New York Jets, again, at the running back position, just what does Le'Veon Bell look like? Because this guy hasn't played in an NFL game since January 2018, and you know he's going in the first round of fantasy drafts. That's kind of scary for me to take someone we haven't seen in that long in the first round, but I'm, I'm definitely willing to come up on him if he looks good in camp in the preseason. Yeah, you put that Patriots backfield in Buffalo, and we're all avoiding all of the players. But because it's in New England, we're going to be watching closely because somebody's going to score for us. And Josh Allen, I think, is going to change as a fantasy prospect as we get from best ball time to regular season because not only is the 79 yards per game not sustainable, it's not predictable. I mean, we can't start him thinking, oh, this is going to be a good rushing week. Yeah, and we talked about how, you know, a lot of his rushing was not designed and that that, that especially is going to be less predictable from week to week. Yeah. NFC East now. Dallas is up first. And my question is, who's going to be a thing? Michael Gallup or Jason Witten? Because I'm not convinced that they both can be this year. I think that it's possible for either of them to do something of value for fantasy. Last year's Cowboys had no players reach 100 targets. Uh, Zeke Elliott led the team with 95. Cole Beasley was next with 87. Then, of course, Amari Cooper, third with 76, only played nine games. All four tight ends who saw any targets for the Cowboys last year combined for 92. Blake Jarwin, Dalton Schultz still around. I don't think that Jason Witten is likely to help us in fantasy. I would bet on Michael Gallup between them, and I think at his round 12 ADP currently, he's fine. I won't say I'm excited about either one, but I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to come from this offense. The New York Giants, I think that the biggest question is, is there a QB competition or not? We heard a little while ago Pat Shermer kind of indicating that he would go with the best player. You know, that says that there is a competition. I think we all know that Eli Manning enters camp with the lead, and Daniel Jones is going to need to clearly outplay Eli Manning to push him aside. We've seen that from the Giants. They think too much of Eli Manning at this point. But it'll be interesting to see if there is a competition, and if clearly outplaying Eli Manning will give Daniel Jones the job early. I think it's a QB situation that's only interesting for fantasy if Daniel Jones wins the job. I do think athletically he has some Josh Allen-type upside, which could be especially attractive and late in a best ball draft. Philadelphia, what will Miles Sanders' early role be? Uh, He's working back from a spring injury. Now Darren Sproles is back. (laughs) Darren Sproles is never out of the picture until he officially (laughs) retires or signs with another team. Jordan Howard is, of course, there. We all know that he's not a great receiver, but he is a solid pass blocker. And the Eagles, at least Howie Roseman, has said he can probably catch the ball better than he gets credit for. So they're not going to take him off the field on every single third down. I do think Sanders' ADP in the beginning of round eight, Jordan Howard's in early round nine, makes both of them draftable. I think you can put them both on the same team. I think especially if it's a best ball team, you can take both of them. And I don't really think Darren Sproles returning changes a ton. He's played 24 of the 48 regular season games in three Doug Peterson seasons, averaging 5.8 carries, 4.4 targets over that span. Those numbers were higher in the first of those three seasons. The biggest thing for Sanders is that he represents a much larger investment than the team has otherwise put into anyone else at running back since Doug Peterson arrived. So that upside, I think, makes him okay to take first. And I'm also okay if you want Jordan Howard as your first shot at the Philly backfield. Finally, Washington, is Darius Geis ready? And is he going to take over the backfield? Or... Is Adrian Peterson the better value target in Washington right now? 
I want to stop drafting Darius Geist, but I can't. <laughs> I, I he he dropped to the tenth round of that FFPC Pros versus Joe's draft there tonight, and I, I had to take him there. So I, I'm worried about him, but in the tenth round, I'll take a shot. Yeah, and that's what he is right now. If yeah. he just keeps lingering, you're like, fine, I'll take Darius Geist. Yep. Uh, moving on to the AFC North here, and starting with the Baltimore Ravens, how will the running back touches be distributed? Um, Ravens running backs averaged 27.6 carries and 3.6 targets in Lamar Jackson's seven starts last regular season. So there's tons of work to go around here. Will Mark Ingram be you know something close to a three-down back here? I think he's capable of that. He was effective last year. He's always been capable in the passing game. Or will rookie Justice Hill steal some work in passing situations as a, as a change of pace guy? Kenneth Dixon still hanging around. Gus Edwards still there, who actually was good. Um, in those Lamar Jackson starts last season. So it, the biggest question for me is Ingram and how much work, work he'll get, because I do think you know he could be a top 15 running back if he sort of captures a three-down role. Um, with the Bengals, it's the offensive line for me. You know, We thought they got a big upgrade when they took Jonah Williams with the 11th overall pick of this year's draft, but he's already out for the year with a torn labrum in his shoulder. Then their longtime left guard, Clint Bowling, retired um, just a few weeks ago here with a, with a, a blood clot in his leg. That forced him to hang it up. So the offensive line looked like it was going to be better. It's now a concern again for guys like Joe Mixon, for AJ Green, for Andy Dalton, for Tyler Boyd. So I want to see how that unit looks um, in in preseason action. Cleveland Browns, just the offensive system in general, because Freddie Kitchens is still there. He's an offensive mind, and they added you know, Todd Munkin as their offensive coordinator. And NFL Network's Mike Silver reported back in June that the transition to Munkin quote, has not gone as smoothly as planned. Um, so I'll just be interested to see, you know, who's who's sort of calling the shots there and what that means for the usage of guys like, you know, Nick Chubb in the passing game specifically, Duke Johnson, who sort of, you know, disappeared at times last year, David Njoku, who really saw his usage decline under Freddie Kitchens. So I think all those guys sort of will, will be impacted by who's really calling the shots in Cleveland. And the Steelers, will they really be a committee backfield? Because they haven't been that in a long time. Um, the Steelers have produced a top six PPR running back in five straight seasons. Three of those obviously came from Le'Veon Bell, but you also had the big DeAndre Williams season. You know he was treated as a feature back, and then James Conner last year finished top six, and he was treated as a feature back. He averaged 16.5 carries and 5.5 targets per game. Only three running backs averaged more total opportunities per game than Conner last year. So if he gets that type of usage again, I think he's probably undervalued in drafts right now. But we've heard talk of Jalen Samuel stealing work, and even their rookie, Benny Snell, stealing some work from Connor. If the Browns want friction on offense, it makes you wonder why they bothered getting rid of Todd Haley. <laughs> and with the Bengals, I, I'm curious to see if this brand new coaching staff of first-time head coach, first-time coordinator, first-time defensive coordinator is in over its head, or if it's like a fresh start that's something exciting. Yeah, I actually had the coaching staff written down in my notes originally, but then decided <laughs> the O-line was a, a slightly yeah. bigger question for me right now. Right. NFC North, Chicago, how much will David Montgomery really absorb? Jordan Howard ranked sixth in the league in carries last year with 250. He ranked just sixth among Bears in targets with 26 or 27, depending on where you're looking. Montgomery could exceed that target share, but he will be challenged in that area by Mike Davis, who arrived in the offseason before David Montgomery did. He will also be challenged by Davis and Tariq Cohen in terms of carries. I don't think he's going to absorb 250 carries that Jordan Howard left behind. Does he top 200? I don't know. We'll see. I've said before on here, I think he's being way overdrafted at this point. 
Detroit. This, uh, this, frankly, I had trouble picking out a question because I think it's a very straightforward situation. They're apparently going to run two tight ends. They spent on tight end. Jesse James drafted TJ Hawkinson. They brought in Daryl Bevel. They clearly want to run the ball. Carryon Johnson is clearly the lead guy. So I think, re- and, and even a wide receiver, it's clearly Kenny Galladay. It's clearly Marvin Jones as long as he's healthy. And nobody's really worried about Danny Amendola taking away from those guys. So I, I think the real, the only real questions worth looking at here are is CJ Anderson going to steal goal line work from carry on Johnson and will Theo Riddick stick around because even though I don't expect Theo Riddick to catch the ball as much as he has in the past if he's around at all then it takes some of the target upside away from carry on Johnson mm-hmm. so if Theo has gone you know I think it helps the the volume outlook for Johnson Green Bay is there a threat behind Aaron Jones uh, recently I saw the, the note that Matt LaFleur wants a mix in the backfield. Every team except like Dallas and Carolina wants a mix in the backfield. There were 10 teams last year that had a single running back get at least 50% of the carries. There were 11 such teams in 2017. That's about a third of the league giving one guy 50% of the carries. So you can get 45% of the carries and still rank in the top half of the league in terms of work share. We don't know how things are going to get split in Green Bay yet because it's a brand new coaching staff, but I'm not worried about Aaron Jones getting the workload. Jamal Williams, Dexter Williams behind him. Jamal Williams is an okay player. I don't think he has a high ceiling beyond that. Dexter Williams I like, but he carried 257 times, I think, total over four seasons at Notre Dame, so I'm not worried about anybody there stealing work from Aaron Jones. And finally, Minnesota is Alexander Madison the new Latavius Murray? And if he is, what does that role look like if Dalvin Cook is healthy and stays healthy? Last year, Latavius Murray finished top 37 across fantasy formats. Uh, the year before, he finished top 25 across fantasy formats. Both of those seasons included Dalvin Cook missing significant time and being limited even when he was on the field. 14 total rushing touchdowns over that span for Latavius Murray. I don't know that Madison has that kind of upside unless Cook gets hurt again. We need a few more of these uh, anti-Aaron Jones notes every once in a while just to keep his ADP yes. in check. So I've started to see him like creep even into the late second round. And I, I yeah. like getting him in the third. So, you know, keep keep uh, keep talking Matt LaFleur every once in a while about mixing in uh, Jamal Williams and Dexter Williams. Yeah, and I think round two I'm not on the Aaron Jones wagon anymore. It feels a bit early, but um, I, I think that's about where he should be going, honestly, like right after like the Dalvin Cook uh, range of running backs. On to the AFC South, starting with the Houston Texans, and I'm curious to see Will Fuller's return from his torn ACL, because I think it affects a lot of players. Obviously, Fuller himself, going in the seventh round in ADP right now, I still think he can beat that price tag. I still think he could be a big bust at that price tag with his injury history, with all the other you know wideouts to, uh, around in Houston now. And obviously, Fuller obviously impacts Kiki Cutie's target pro- uh, projection this season. And I think Fuller impacts Deshaun Watson as well. Um, Deshaun Watson, 29.5 fantasy points per game with Will Fuller in the lineup versus 22.8 points per game without Will Fuller. That's the difference last year between quarterback 2 and quarterback 10. So I think Watson's you know weekly upside gets a big boost with Fuller in the lineup. Um, Fuller did avoid the pup list open training camp, so it seems like he's on track to be ready for week 1. Indianapolis Colts. Where are the targets going to go behind T.Y. Hilton? I think there's a battle for the number two wide receiver spot between Devin Funchess and Paris Campbell. I've been drafting both those guys. I think they're both good values where they're going, and I think one of them's probably going to be a hit at ADP right now. And then at tight end as well, Jack Doyle's back. 
he out-targeted Eric Ebron in their games together last season. Is that going to remain the case this year? You know, how, how big of a dent is Doyle going to make in Ebron's numbers? And how healthy is Ebron coming off his surgery? Yep, and how healthy is Jack Doyle coming off his surgery? So, mm-hmm. yeah, lots of questions in the tight end core. I know there's some Mo Cox uh, fans out there, too, as the third tight end in, in Indianapolis. The Jaguars, their offense under new OC John Filippo, and specifically, how much more will they lean towards the pass under Filippo? The Jags have been a run-focused offense over the last two years. They ranked 31st and then 17th in pass rate over the past two seasons. Filippo in Minnesota last year, 65.7% pass. That was third highest in the NFL. Even with the Browns back in 2015 as their offensive coordinator, Cleveland ranked ninth in pass rate. So it seems to be a pass-leaning play caller. You know, how how much will he bring of that to Jacksonville with him? And that's obviously going to affect Leonard Fournette's rushing volume, the wide receiver target numbers there. And even, I think, Nick Foles, if they're going past heavier, could be a spot start option for fantasy owners at times this season. Lastly, Tennessee Titans, are they finally going to commit to Derrick Henry as a workhorse back? Henry's only carried 15-plus times in 10 of his 47 career games, but we saw what he could do down the stretch last year with those you know, big rushing workloads. And I want to see, too, if Henry's going to get more involved in the passing game because even during that big four-game stretch to close last season, he only saw three total targets. It's going to be tough for him to really pay off if he doesn't see at least a bit more action in the passing game. Yeah, I would say yes and yes. I think they their words and actions suggest that they are ready to actually have Derrick Henry lead the backfield on the ground. And if we're just looking for more than, you know, 0.8 targets per game for <laughs> Derrick Henry, then yeah, I think he'll exceed that. I don't think that he'll catch 30 balls this year. But if he can catch 18 to 20, I guess that's, you know, some step up. Right. I'm not chasing Derrick Henry, but I think he's I think he's an all right guy to get some shares of just in case, you know, thing everything goes right for him. Yeah, and, and I agree. He doesn't need 30 to 40 catches. 20 would probably be okay because I do think Henry, if he stays healthy, is a candidate to lead the league in rushing this season. Mm-hmm. On to the NFC South, where I think Atlanta is another one of those straightforward situations. we got Julio Jones, we got Matt Ryan, we've got Calvin Ridley, Mohamed Sanu, uh, limiting each other's target upside. We've got Austin Hooper, whose touchdown upside we've talked about, and I don't think we're really going to see whether that comes to fruition until the regular season. So to me, the biggest question is, what does the backfield look like behind Devontae Freeman? Is Ido Smith better in his second season? Is Kadri Allison a challenge to Ido Smith's spot? And are they real? Are they going to siphon any of Devontae Freeman's work to give to those guys? I don't think so. I'm not worried about that duo, no matter what they do this summer, challenging Devontae Freeman's hold. And I think the relative safety of Devontae Freeman's likely workload makes him very attractive in that round three range. I wonder sometimes if I'm not even taking enough of him in that area. Carolina, we might be trying to look past this question right now, but I think is Cam Newton's shoulder good and ready to go is is the, the thing that we need to answer. We need to see him this summer. Make sure that he's good. We're drafting him at least, you know, among draft sharks. We're drafting him as though his shoulder's good. We need to see that it's for sure to keep doing so. And beyond that, does Greg Olson look right? I mean, he's being drafted at a point where he doesn't need to be the old Greg Olson to be a fine value. But if we get into camp and they're like, wow, Greg Olson looks like he did three years ago. Maybe it's time to start taking him at like tight end 15 or 16 just in case he comes back and leads the Panthers in targets, which is what old Greg Olson could do. New Orleans, is there a wide receiver worth owning besides Michael Thomas? Traquan Smith's early in round 12. I think it's fine to take shots at him. 
It's a little harder for me to do so, though, when Ted Ginn is in the second half of round 17. Ted Ginn was playing ahead of Traquan Smith early last year. He was playing ahead of him again after returning from a half season on IR. So I haven't seen the hype pieces on Traquan Smith yet this year to make me think that the Saints envision a breakout for him. So I need to see over the summer that he has that. I think the thing working against both of them is that Michael Thomas, Ted Ginn, Traquan Smith don't seem to fit well together as a set of three receivers. All three of those guys played less than 40% of their snaps in the slot last year. And Tampa Bay, finally, what does the backfield have in store? We're all interested to see what happens with Chris Godwin, whether you are on board the hype train or hoping that it derails. But the backfield is a big question. Is a bulked up Ronald Jones a good thing? A lot of times we hear about players bulking up and it doesn't really work out for them, especially if they're speed guys. Is Peyton Barber, you know, still in charge? Or is Bruce Anderson a a real thing? I mean, you know, I think we still kind of scoff at an undrafted free agent stepping in and playing a big role, but we shouldn't. A season after Philip Lindsay did it in Denver. I mean, and he did it over a third-round rookie in the same class. So I've been scoffing at Bruce Anderson to this point. I've been wondering lately, though, if I should be taking just a couple shots late in a draft just in case he climbs up a weak backfield. And then, of course, the, the last piece of that is, will the Bucks pick up another running back because they're dissatisfied with what they have? Duke Johnson, please. Yes. I, I've, I've honestly just not even considered either Bucks running backs in drafts so far. Um, you know, the Ronald Jones hype has sort of seemed to wear off over the past couple of weeks. And Peyton Barber, for all that volume he got last year, he wasn't even really a fantasy asset. So it's, it's just been a situation I'm ignoring for now. Yeah, I actually took Duke Johnson over Gio Bernard late in a best ball championship draft lately, even though I already okay. had Joe Mixon just on the chance that he does get traded and really, you know, sees a huge upside boost. There's also a chance that he just sort of reemerges as a, a you know, a decent sized part of that passing game at least this season i think he he should he should uh afc west denver broncos you know another backfield question here between philip Lindsay and Devante, or sorry royce freeman um <laughs> philip Lindsay clear for the start of training camp so that wrist injury i think is no longer a concern for me at least we had some some buzz earlier this week about Lindsay's passing game role growing potentially he's been you know splitting out wide early in camp so far so that's good news but royce freeman also had an impressive spring third round pick just last year I think, you know, how the carries are divvied, especially with new OC, Rich Scangarello there is going to be interesting. And then Devontae Booker is still there, too. Like, will he just go away? That'd be nice for both Freeman and Lindsey. The Kansas City Chiefs, it's got to be Damian Williams. You know, will he capture something close to the the role Kareem Hunt was playing the past year and a half in Kansas City? We obviously saw Williams put up huge numbers in that, you know, six, seven game sample down the stretch last season. Andy Reid's offenses have consistently produced top 16 PPR running backs, 16 of his 20 seasons as a head coach. Considering how good this Chiefs offense is, I think, you know, Williams has a real chance to finish top 16 if he can capture that role. Problem is, obviously, you know, he's going in the mid-second round of fantasy drafts right now, so he needs to capture that role to have any chance to pay off that price tag. Late in round one, by the way, in the uh, best ball championship well. draft. Yeah, I've seen it. that, yep. <laughs> um, Chargers, obviously the biggest story, I think, in fantasy right now. When and will Mar- uh, Melvin Gordon show up the training camp, holding out, looking for a new deal? I'm still betting on him being on the field in week one. I think it's pretty rare that players miss games holding out. You know, we, we saw it last year with Le'Veon Bell, so I think that's fresh in our mind, but and prior to that, you know, there's not a ton of examples of guys holding out into the regular season. But I still think the longer this holdout lasts, he has to drop down rankings just because there's some injury risk. You know, we won't know exactly what kind of shape he's in. 
Maybe the Chargers will want to ease him back in, you know, when, when he does show up. So he'll, he'll continue to drop in our rankings. I think the longer his holdout lasts, is that, and then if Gordon does miss games this season, how does the work get split up between Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson? Eckler was the clear leader in the backfield in three games that he played with Jackson and without Gordon last year. In those three games, Eckler outsnapped Jackson 130 to 40. Um, he outcarried Jackson 40 to 17, and targets were 20 to 4 in favor of Austin Eckler. I think the the gap will, will shrink a bit this season if Gordon misses time, but I still think Eckler is the guy we're going to want in fantasy lineups over Justin Jackson. I agree. Actually, I looked at uh, holdout guys in an article, I think it was last summer, that I should revisit for Melvin Gordon, mm-hmm. and I, I believe there are certainly examples of guys who trailed off after they held out, but there were also some guys who played just fine. It wasn't one of those things that was clear one way or the other. So there are worrisome uh, trends that you can look at, but also the year before Le'Veon Bell set out the season, he held out until September 1st and came back and was the same Le'Veon Bell played the entire season and produced all year. Yeah, And of course, as Gordon moves in our rankings, he's also going to move in ADP. So, you know, there's always the you know, risk reward formula. You have to sort of play out. You know, I, I took Gordon in the second round in the FFPC, Pros versus Joe's draft. I think he, he makes sense there at this time. And, you know, again, we'll, we'll obviously be talking about Melvin Gordon a bunch over the next month here. Mm-hmm. Oakland Raiders, I want to see Derek Carr just get more aggressive, especially with the new weapons he has now at wide receiver. Only 9.2% of Carr's passes traveled 20 plus yards downfield last season. That was dead last in the NFL. He was pretty good, though, when he did throw deep. He had the fifth best accuracy rate on those throws of 20 plus yards downfield. Now he gets Antonio Brown and Tyrell Williams, who have been two of the better deep ball receivers in the NFL over the past few years now. So I think Carr can be a fantasy factor, and it'll obviously help Brown and Williams if he does you know, chuck it downfield a bit more this season. And one more point on Gordon before we get too far away from him. The difference between him and Le'Veon Bell last year is that at this time last year, Le'Veon Bell did not have a contract. He was franchise tagged. That was out there, but he didn't sign it. So he didn't need to report to the Steelers. If Melvin Gordon does not report to the Chargers, he's still under contract when he comes back next year. He's in the same situation because he's on the fifth year of his initial rookie contract. So I, I, to me, it doesn't look like sitting out the year yeah. helps him at all. Yeah, Gordon's also getting fined for every day he misses a training camp now, which wasn't the case for Bell last year. Mm-hmm. NFC West to close things out. In Arizona, will they look as good as many of us are hoping that they will? Kyler Murray, we mentioned recently, has climbed up to QB7. David Johnson is running back five in ADP. Christian Kirk has climbed. So there's plenty of excitement for these new Cardinals. And I certainly think there's a shot they pay off. As, as you've heard, if you've been listening to us talk since the NFL draft, will they look as good as we're hoping? Or will it take a little bit more transition time than what we would like? The Rams. I think we all know the question there. What is the truth on Todd Gurley's knee? We know he has arthritis. He's also still in his 20s, so I don't think the fact that he has arthritis means he's, I don't know, Wilford Brimley or a Golden (laughs) Girl or whatever the example is here. He's not done. He can clearly still play some football, otherwise he wouldn't be out there. So what is his knee like? How healthy is it? What's his role going to be? And to a lesser degree, what is Daryl Henderson's role really going to be? I'm still not drafting him. I have seen... Smart people on Twitter say, oh, now that Daryl Henderson's getting the round seven at times, I'm taking him every single time there. I could understand if you're taking him one out of eight or ten times there, but every single time in round seven? Come on, come on. All right. San Francisco, 
How the heck are all of the opportunities going to be split up? In the backfield, Jarek McKinnon, Matt Breida coming off spring injuries. So it'll be our first look at all three of the running backs being healthy together. At wide receiver, Debo Samuel is coming off a spring injury. So we'll see what he does when healthy. He's been falling way down drafts and, and makes sense late. Marquise Goodwin, he's probably going to still be there. But words from Kyle Shanahan make it sound like he doesn't want Marquise Goodwin to play a prime role. He wants him involved. I don't know what kind of volume we're going to see. I don't think Goodwin's going to be a, a, a factor for fantasy outside of best ball, but you know how many targets he can draw will affect the target ceilings for the other guys that we are drafting. And then Seattle, the big question is, how is Chris Carson's knee? We don't know a whole lot about exactly when his surgery was or exactly what they fixed. We, we heard from Pete Carroll that he had a little work done. <laughs> they announced it in May. It sounded like they expected Carson to be ready for the start of camp. So we'll see. Carson also had ankle surgery in October 2017. He also tore an ACL back in his final high school season. So there's some durability questions following him anyway. You know, we've mentioned on here that Chris Carson has been a value to this point, And I don't think you're risking too much by taking him in round five. But... His situation obviously affects Rashad Penny, who might be a breakout candidate this season, especially if if Chris Carson's role or start to camp is delayed by this knee. So so that's all 32 teams. I I think it's telling how many of our questions were about the backfields. I I think that that really sort of tells you where we need to be paying the most attention over the next month here. Yeah, that's where we are in fantasy at this point. And that's why those top four to five backs are so diligently drafted at the beginning of round one because the questions start quickly after that. And actually, we've got those uh, backfield reports coming up on DraftSharks.com to start answering those questions and looking deeper. Good tease. That's going to do it for this Camp Questions edition of the podcast, though. You can head over to DraftSharks.com now to see our early educated guesses at the answers to the questions we've been bringing up on the show. You can find those in the player projections. You can find them in the hundreds of player profiles on the site. And we'll, of course, keep updating our rankings as things happen through the rest of July and August. You can check the rankings MVP board now. You can already see quite a few players who have moved up or down the rankings based on what has happened to this point. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShaufDS. It's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Schauf saying thanks so much for swimming with us. 